Welcome to the new section of Co-OpCast. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and today I'm recording from the future to bring you the second episode of One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast under the Co-OpCast banner. This is a continuation of combining our podcast feeds into one full of awesomeness. This episode was recorded February 22nd, 2018, so please enjoy. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, a podcast where we will discuss cooperative and solo board games. In this episode, we're going to start a new short segment spotlighting an older or forgotten game based on initial uh, listener feedback. So these are the uh, concepts our listeners have sent in. So joining me today, as always, is Colin. Hello, everyone. So let's go ahead and start with our recently played game. So for myself, um, I've been playing a few games recently. But there's one in particular I'll talk about, and this will be a nice tie-in to our news segment. So the game that I've been playing recently is uh, Aeon's End. Uh, if you're not familiar with this game, this is a cooperative deck builder. This deck builder is based on supply piles. So this is very similar to Dominion, as opposed to other games like Ascension or Marvel Legendary, which has a random mark that appears. This game is one to four players. And if you're not familiar with it, each player is a mage, and each mage has a unique card or cards in their deck. And the cool thing about the game is while you build your deck, you don't normally shuffle it. So as you discard cards, you'll discard them in a in a somewhat controlled fashion. And then when you need to draw in more cards and your deck's empty, you'll literally flip over your discard pile and just draw from the top again. So it's actually quite interesting that you can set up combos just by discarding cards nearby each other. That's quite fun. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of time to play this with others, so I've been playing this a bit solo. And when I play games solo, I tend to play just one character, so I've been playing one mage. And I'm not sure this game's the best with one mage, but there's enough flexibility in the rules and the recommendations where you can adjust the difficulty, because I do think it's harder with one mage. Steve, I totally agree. And not only that, I you miss out on so much of the game. I mean, I I think Aeon's End is one of the best co-op experiences that I've had playing games. But from a solo perspective, you really got to play two mages. Or if you don't want to do that, I just don't know if it's good enough with just one. Because so much of the game is about interacting with the other players, trying to help prevent things. Or who's going to discard these cards so that you can get rid of power cards and all of that. And it's just with one, you you have a limited health set, health amount as well. Only You only have 10 health to deal with. Right, so the more mages there are, the more health you can spread damage across. I I don't know. I just I think this game was set up and designed specifically for two or more. Yeah, I agree completely. It's definitely best with more. Steve, it sounds like we need to have a, a game night on Skype and play that. Then, right, <laughs> we can totally do this. In fact, we have done this in the past, and I will admit that this is one of the easier games to play remote. I have some other friends I've played with remote as well on a number of other games. That's the nice thing about co-ops is you can actually make a lot, quite a few co-ops work this way. And what I mean by that is we set up webcams and we get on Skype or Google Hangouts and we aim the cameras at our boards and literally just play out a game in that fashion. There's also other tools out there like Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator. 
And sometimes we use those to help supplement these plays as well. In fact, I do play Lord of the Rings of the Living Card Game this way with a friend in on the West Coast, and I am currently in the East Coast. And that actually works out pretty well other than, other than the time zone difference. So we play that game, and then we also take a break from Lord of the Rings of the Living Card Game and play Spirit Island uh, once a month this way. And it actually works out pretty well. Yeah, well, I think we did uh, Nemo's War. Do you remember you taught me Nemo's War? Oh, I remember that game. I remember... <laughs> It was getting late, especially for yep. me, because I'm uh I'm in the East An Coast. An hour ahead. Hour ahead, exactly. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. It was it was actually really exciting to see how far you were getting, and it, I can't I don't remember all the details, but got towards the end, and I had to I had to sit stay up and finish it, and watch what happened. So, and don't you remember I I was defeated. <laughs> I I had a total defeat. We thought we were doing so well, and then at the end of it, we counted up all the points, and we're like, "Oh, great! Yep, that was um a defeat. Wonderful. <laughs> at least it wasn't an epic defeat. Whatever that last, the lowest level was, it wasn't that, but it was one above it. So ah, whatever. It was still a great way to learn that game. I do consider getting through to the end a partial victory, just a personal victory, despite what the book says. So <laughs> yes, totally agree with that one. So anyway, yeah, so back to Alien's End. If you haven't played that, I do recommend trying it out. Like Colin said, it's extremely cooperative. I do recommend this with more more than one person. Um, the mages that you play all very varied. They do a lot of different unique abilities between them. And you also fight different bosses, and each boss is very unique. In fact, they often require different strategies to try to figure out how to take down. And that's one of the really fun parts about the game is uh, experiencing each boss and learning how they play and trying to look at the card pool and figure out what what to do to take them take them out. Steve, can I ask you when you play, do you do a random market setup or do you try and pick cards that will work relatively well against that specific nemesis? It depends. If I'm playing cooperative with other players, I will do a random market setup. If I'm doing solo, what I've found and this is with one mage, is I will give myself a little leeway and I'll give myself a little more health and I'll sometimes pick out one or two supply cards that might help fill out my options. Because with solo, you have a lot less ability to work with others and I feel like that added assistance is necessary. Yeah, and what did you do with the turn order deck when you played solo? Did you just do two of your number and two of the nemesis and that's it? No, there's a few ways you can do it, and it's actually called in the book, but I did four of my number and two of the nemesis. So it's really the same number of turns. It's just that I'm taking every single turn. Uh, but doesn't that really upgrade your deck faster than maybe a normal game of Aeon's End? It does. It does, for sure. Oh, but then the nemesis deck it has less cards in it, right? Correct. So then the nemesis levels up. Okay, there we go. There's where it's going to balance out. Correct, exactly. So it winds up being about the same um, leveling up, I think, just that all the eggs are on one basket. And like you said, you have less health, so it makes it a little more difficult in that regard. But it can be kind of fun. Uh, one thing that's interesting about this game is it has a relatively low power ceiling. And what I mean by that is there are deck builders out there, um, both ones where you pre-construct your deck beforehand and ones where you play your deck during the or build your deck during the game. Stuff like Magic, that you can have infinite combos in that game. Magic the Gathering is what I'm talking about. And so that, I would say, has a high power ceiling. However, in, in Aeon's End, there's quite a few times where there's not many ability to draw more cards, so it's hard to get 
combo like infant combos going and there's often um damage caps kind of built in the cards and so it provides a more consistent experience i would say uh but some people may or may not like that power cap i i'm kind of torn on this sometimes i like being able to do some really wicked combos and pull things off like in legendary marvel legendary i feel like you can do it a little bit easier you can literally draw your whole deck deck almost every turn in that game and that's kind of fun and silly to do but aeon's end tends to be uh, more controlled and so i feel like it's probably better designed in that regard which is definitely a plus so depends on what you're looking for i would say that that's really important in a co-op steve you know if you're playing a game like Dominion, the whole reason you're playing the playing Dominion is so that you can draw your entire deck every round, right? That's what you're trying to do in that game because you try and thin your deck to be the right amount of cards. You get those combos every time, and that's getting you your victory points. But when you play a co-op, you, you're not trying to make the best deck. What you're trying to do is defeat the nemesis. And how you're going to do that is purchasing cards that are going to defeat the nemesis. It's not about the deck. It's about the nemesis. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like just a little bit of a different mindset. So instead of you just going to create the best deck of cards, you're instead going to find the best combos as a team to be able to take out the nemesis. At least for me, that's how I see it. I mean, I'm just thinking of most co-op deck builders. They don't allow you to uh destroy cards in your deck and stuff like that and i think it's purely to to prevent you from having those infinite combos and then just automatically winning the game because of that instead you have to work through all of those basic cards and find combos that will work well enough to get you to win the game now aeon's end does bring in destruction cards actually it's one of the things i like about it is you can make an efficient deck but it's still i think a different uh your goal is different in a game like aeon's end versus a game like dominion yeah, I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I do think building your deck is a still a uh, focus of the game, but to your point, I don't think it's... I think the point you're making, that I agree, the part I agree with, is when you have that higher power ceiling, you can have one player kind of run away with the game, and with Aeon's End, you won't have that. It's more balanced across the board, and so you won't have one person just kind of running the show and everyone else is kind of along for the ride. And this one, you really do have to share. And honestly, in Aeon's End, you, it's best to specialize, have someone be like, okay, I'm going to generate big money to get some big cards out. And I'm going to focus on taking care of some of the enemy power cards. And there's a couple other strategies you can employ to specialize in. So that definitely works. Now, I did have a weird game recently in Aeon's End where I had a strange, strange combo. I was playing, oh, I can't think of the name of the mage, but the special ability allows me to take the turn order card and shuffle back in the deck at the cost of uh, losing a life. And I was able to draw my deck, my full deck in two turns, essentially. And to make a long story short, I had has set up where I could do that basically every time, pull off that uh, gain extra turn card. And so <laughs> I wanted awesome. to, yeah, I wanted to being like, a ton of damage every turn, and I could take three or four turns in a row before I would be low in health and have to try to kill a minion to regain health. It was pretty silly, but it was still capped, which is kind of interesting. Wow, that's interesting. I've never had that happen. That's kind of cool. So, anyway, 
Big fan, Aeon's End, and we may be talking about Aeon's End a little bit later today. <laughs> cool. Well, okay, Steve, so what I've been playing recently is uh, Fantasy Defense. This is a game that I just recently got from a Kickstarter. Um, the game is, it's it's a simple card playing game, and it's a one to two player. You can play either one or two, and it's definitely cooperative whichever way you play what you're doing is you are protecting the the castle or whatever you want to call it you're protecting something from these enemies that are coming and storming the gates and you can either be elves or humans and it's a very quick game the size of the box is tiny i love it i can fit it right in my backpack i can play it at lunch it's great um i really enjoy how puzzly it is Everything is predetermined, so there's no dice rolling. All you're going to be doing is drawing a certain number of invaders, and then you have to play cards from your hand, and they have numbers on them, and you're trying to get your numbers to be equal to or greater than the invaders that are uh, facing that exact gate. So you'll have six gates across the table, and invaders will come out randomly on the different places of the of the actual gate, and then you'll be playing your heroes or your cards down and trying to get numbers higher than the invaders. If you can get through the entire invader deck, which includes two bosses, you win the game. Have you played Battleline by chance? Are are you familiar with it? No, I don't even I don't even know what that is. What is that? It's a fairly popular two player game, and it sounds like this is almost a cooperative version of Battleline. Um, so Battleline, you actually have a number of areas of contention, and each player is taking power or number card and playing them to each of these areas and it's a kind of a battle who can get the most points on each each area to take control of it and it almost sounds very similar to this but this is cooperative wow that sounds kind of cool yeah yeah um sounds very similar actually but i'm assuming that one's probably a little more involved than this one this one i mean you've got a, a set deck of cards there really isn't much you can do to affect it you have two spells that you can use once through the game and and that's it so it's it's very straightforward um i really like how puzzly it is so uh what you can do is after you've deployed your your cards they stay out as long as they're not killed one one once each round one of your heroes that are there protecting a gate if they're in a battle one of them gets killed so you got to decide each round well, which one am i going to lose but all the other ones will stay out there and so you kind of gain this this defense but then you don't know where the enemies are going to come and you can you'll have to move them around on mm-hmm. the actual table yeah it's kind of cool um so it's really puzzly which i like it also has the expansion so since i did do the kickstarter the expansion has a campaign and i've only played one of the campaign but it's fun it adds events it adds different enemies so that's that's nice because i will say with the base game the replayability is pretty bad (laughs) there's you use all of the enemies every time so you'll always see the same enemies you're using the same deck there's only two decks so it can get old really quickly however it's a quick game i play it in about 10 minutes 10 15 minutes so it's not very long um it's really a nice one for if you just need a break but the campaign is what's going to get me to keep playing that one. And lastly, you will know that 
there's lots of times they're going to be counting, okay, a 10 plus 14 plus another 12 minus the 7, okay, plus, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of math. And sometimes that can get, kind of get you out of the theme of the game. You're going to be going, well, I'm trying to get a number 28, but I can only get number 27. And it doesn't feel like, well, I don't have enough of my heroes to protect the gate. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, for me, that's fine. I'm not playing it for the generic fantasy. I'm playing it for that puzzle. So, but yeah, I've been playing that. That should be coming up on the channel soon. I'm I'm excited to show you guys. It is fun. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to show you guys the campaign or not, because the campaign is a little bit spoilery, because when you go through it, they're in little full uh, envelopes. You'll open them. Nothing gets destroyed, but you'll keep adding as you go through the campaign, and I think there's six or seven envelopes. So yeah, it's kind of cool. So you said this game is 10 to 15 minutes. That's pretty quick. Is this a game you would play back-to-back, potentially, with such a short time frame? Oh, absolutely. Every time I've played it, I've never played it more than or less than twice. (laughs) And usually I lose the first one. And then when I win the second, I'm like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And on a high note. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you you always want to end on a high note. If you win the first one, maybe you just play once. But yeah, I I also usually will play one time as the humans and then one time as the elves because they do have different abilities and they have different cards and that's kind of fun and they have different spells that they can use. So that's cool. I'm not heard of this game, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, Fantasy Defense. You know, I I really should know who made it. Here it is. Um, The Mandu Games. Yeah, I've never even heard of them either. But um, yeah, it's really quick. 15, 20 minutes. But it's only one to two player. So uh, we talked about our recent games. Let's talk about some new upcoming games. So I think, Colin, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Steve. Yeah, the first one I want to talk about, this is a game that I'm for sure backing. It's called The Big Score. It's uh, designed by AJ Porfirio, um, who also made Hostage Negotiator. So you know he's good at solo games. So the game is solo or competitive for, I think it's one to five players. I think it's what it is. One to Uh, six. One to six. Thanks, Steve. One to six. So what you are doing is you are a crime boss. And what you're trying to do is getting ready to break into a bank. Okay, what you have to do is you have to complete two acts. Act one, you are preparing for this big heist. So you'll do smaller heists. You're going to be recruiting your your crew that you're going to get together to go jump into that vault. Um, you're doing small tasks like that. You might be going with. Uh, if you're playing competitively, you might go with other uh, other players, but when you're playing solo, you'll be going by yourself, doing different things like that, and then after that, Act 2, you actually go and try and rob the vault. Now, I'm really interested in the solo, since, you know, <laughs> that's how I play most of my games, so the solo is objective-based, which is awesome, so you'll have different objectives, and he's he already has six, and I think he has more planned if the game does well. It's already funded, um, but yeah, the more money he gets, the more he'll be able to create new scenarios for solo specifically, and so you get to have different objectives. You might have to go in and find certain loot within the vault, stuff like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm excited for it, and I know AJ's is pretty awesome. And you know, if he did hostage negotiator, I would say he knows how to create solo games. So I feel more comfortable backing this one. The Kickstarter does end March sixth, so make sure to check it out if you're interested. I do remember seeing this pop up on my Kickstarter feed as as I was browsing through games, and I don't know what it was, but I totally remind me of uh, Burger Brothers. But I think this oh, is yeah. different. I mean, theme-wise, it's similar, I, I assume. 
totally understand how you would think Burgle Brothers. And the thing is, is I'm never getting rid of Burgle Brothers. But Burgle Brothers, I'm never going to play solo. I'll only play it co-op because it is such a really fun co-op and people get into that theme. This would be fun, though, to have one that's really just solo for me to play. And I can be that crime boss and break into a bank which is funny because I work for a bank. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I think it would be really fun. I really appreciate games like this that let you do something or let you act in a way you wouldn't normally, like breaking a bank. It would be kind of fun to mess around and do that stuff. There's another game, too, uh, I have on my shelf. It's not a not a co-op, a solo game, but Last Will, it's a game oh, where yeah. you have a bunch of money and the whole point is to waste money. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love silly themes that let you, I don't know, do something you wouldn't normally do. So, Have you played Magic Maze? I have not played Magic Maze. Oh, you have a maze? Oh my gosh. Okay, that's another one. Trying to steal stuff from a mall and then running away. Yes, that's a great <laughs> Without example. Without talking. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, this looks pretty cool. I'll, I, uh, I definitely looked into this Kickstarter. Okay, the next Kickstarter I want to talk about uh, is called Dungeons of Infinity. Uh, this is by Jack Spooner. I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. As I understand it, this is his first uh, game. So this game is going to last 60, 60 to 120 minutes, and it's 1 to 5 players. And it has a lot of different modes. So solo, competitive, cooperative, campaign, and story modes. And what it is, is it's basically another dungeon crawl. So, well, like, oh, great, another dungeon crawl. We have a billion of these. So what makes this unique? So that's why I kind of started looking into this a little bit. And the premise of this is it's always going to be a different experience every time you play it. So there's a number of factors that contribute to this being a, a random dungeon each time. So as you explore, you'll be flipping over dungeon tiles, and they'll have different room layouts. And that's just to lay out the room. And then what is inside the room is going to be populated by room content and risk cards. And so you could have stuff like debris. You could have stuff like treasure chests, mists, or even uh, bodies. And you can choose to, hey, let's loot some stuff. Or let's just skip this and walk by. Or maybe you have some monsters, monsters pop up. And you don't always have to fight them. You can try sneaking by them. So I kind of, I do appreciate that flexibility. It's kind of interesting. It, you also level up like normal in the dungeon crawl. There's a number of different characters, and it is scenario-based. It seems kind of interesting looking at it, but ultimately, I'm not going to be backing this. I did want to bring it to the channel in case others were interested. Yeah, he's in, he even has Paul Grogan doing the rule book, and he's got MVM doing... Uh, they did a preview for it, and they usually only do previews for games that they're interested in. So I'm amazed right now. They're actually not doing the greatest for funding it looks like only about what a third so far yeah third and going until march 19th so they still have a good amount of time left so we'll that's a good point we'll see what happens but yeah check it out if this sounds interesting to you if you're interested in a random dungeon crawl experience it's gonna be different every time but there's so many dungeon crawls out there he's gonna have some there's gonna be tough competition especially with recent hits like gloomhaven and even Sword and Sorcery last year, so. Well, yeah, and then, you know, thinking of a random dungeon setup makes me think of Shadows of Brimstone. I mean, you you already have mm. games that give you that. True. And so what is this giving you that's different? And it looks like he's doing standees, so he's not getting the miniature people that are would back it just for minis. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. 
There's another game that popped up on Kickstarter, and unfortunately, I have not read these books, but I know someone on this podcast who has. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this one, yeah, this one is really near and dear to me. I'm, I'm so excited for this game, even if it kind of looks a little more toyish than what I would normally want. <laughs> um, and that is The Reckoners. Okay, this game is being published by Nauvo Games. Um, and it's all about the Steel Heart series that's written by Brandon Sanderson. So Brandon Sanderson, I don't know if any of you have read the Wheel of Time series. It took me three years, I think, but I read that whole series. I think it's 14 books long, if I remember right. And um, Brandon Sanderson finished it off for Robert Jordan, who passed away. And he did the last three books, I think, three or four. No, I think it was three, 11 through 14. Um, and so he wrote those last three or four books. And I was like, hey, these are really good. So then I went and started checking out his other uh, writings, and it was amazing. I love his books. He does a fantastic job of providing you with unique uh, worlds. He's he's the greatest world creator I've seen. So he's got a series that's all about metal and pushing and pulling and all these different things you can do with metal. You want a game? You want a book about colors and how colors can affect a world? He's got one for that too, called Warbreaker. So he just has these really unique ideas, and this is one of them. The Steelheart series, albeit it might be a little bit more at the teenager level, it's still a really fun, nice, quick trilogy. And while the the Nauvu Games, they are creating a game based off of the first book. The game will be a solo or co-op game up to six players. And what's awesome is it's another great puzzle game. But how it works is you're going to have action dice. And everybody is at the same time is going to roll their action dice and then choose one to keep. And they'll have different uh, actions that you can take on those dice. And you'll keep one and you'll re-roll them. And kind of like that Yahtzee style, you'll roll, you'll have roll them, keep whatever ones you want, roll them a couple more times. After you get them all um, rolled, then you all can decide okay you're gonna go first and do this action i can do this action and you'll be moving across it's not really a board it's more like locations the different locations of new cargo because it's technically chicago <laughs> um, but you're moving around new cargo trying to research and defeat these epics and these epics are a really interesting take on something that you know would happen potentially in the future world where all of a sudden all of these humans receive superpowers but instead of them being good people, they decide to be bad people. So all of these epics are bad people, and these reckoners who you're acting as are regular humans that are trying to eliminate the the uh, epics because essentially the epics have created uh, this terrible system, and nobody feels like they're free. Okay, and you can decide which way you believe is right <laughs> as you read the story. But um, the game is really fun because you're trying to research what these um, epics weaknesses are because every epic has a weakness but you don't know what it is so you got to figure it out so you're trying to figure those out and then defeat the epics and defeat Stillheart before you lose all the population of Nukago yeah so it looks fun it it looks I would say it looks a little a little toyish. You, you, if if you look on the um, preview or on the Kickstarter page, you'll see that there's these uh, you know the things that you're using to place the locations are are plastic and yeah, it just it doesn't feel like a regular board game, which is okay. But I just want you to know that up front. <laughs> um, but I think the actual gameplay. I have an uncle who's actually 
played it as a uh, play tester and he loved it. So if he liked it, I'm interested. <laughs> so I am backing this one. Um, it's going to be live until March 13th. And if you are at all into the theme or into Brandon Sanderson, I think you'll be interested in this one. And if you have not looked at Brandon Sanderson, check him out. I just love that world he created where no more people are trying to figure out how to overthrow or upset beings with powers. That's such a cool premise. Yeah. And, and it's, how he does it, anyways, it's really cool. I mean, I will say that Steelheart is not one of his best world creations. If you want to see that, look at Warbreaker, look at Mistborn. Uh, but it can get you just a little bit of a taste of how he can create a world that's just different enough, but then similar enough so that you can relate to it. I'm also interested, too, how this game is going to translate for someone who hasn't read this series. That is a good point. And actually... What they say is when you are, you know, trying to research uh, his weakness, they don't actually tell you what his real weakness is. It's just tracks and you're trying to get so far on a track. So don't worry if you want to play this before you've read the book. You're okay. You're not going to spoil the book, just so you know. I'm sure like most games, if you've read the books, this is probably a better experience. Absolutely. I'm Actually, the, the first thing I thought of was Fallout. I, I know people that have played Fallout, uh, the video game, and they loved the game. I did not like that game but i've never played fallout and i think i just didn't have the right expectation i completely agree i remember i played battlestar galactica the board game uh without watching the series i know i know didn't watch the series uh but i, I still haven't either you, you haven't watched the series nope oh man we might have to fix that so anyway i played the board game and then i wound up well it's kind of an interesting premise and so i wanted to watch the whole series and the second time i played the board game was after i finished the series and I definitely enjoyed it more after my second play. I've got to say, I played that game once, and I was the Zylon, and yeah, that did not go well. I am terrible at sabotaging people. I was like, oh yeah, I can kill that, and I killed it. I went, oh wait, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was not a very good Zylon. I do love those hidden trader games, though. They can be quite fun. I had a fun instance where we were playing at uh, BGGCon, I believe. Yeah, it was BGGCon. And when my good friend John was playing, we were playing uh, Ultimate One Night Ultimate Werewolf at the time. Oh, yes. Which is a really fun game. You haven't played it. And he was the werewolf throughout the gate. And so we played this game. And basically everyone pinpointed like, oh, he's a werewolf. And if you're not familiar with the game, you your roles can change. But at, at some point in the during the game, everyone's going to vote on a person to eliminate. And if it's a were if you eliminate the werewolf, the humans win. If you eliminate the humans or the villager, the werewolves win. So the werewolves are trying to hide. So basically, everyone pointed at him. Reviewed his car card as a werewolf. Okay, next game. So it's a little bit of a flop. We played another game immediately after that, and he received the role of the village idiot, I believe the name is. And so this is an interesting role where you win the game if you are eliminated. So you actually won't be voted. So what he wound up doing is he wound up playing exactly the same way, play, making the same mistakes, and everyone's like, oh, he's a werewolf again. And so we all voted for him. Well, what happened was uh, there was another role in the game that whoever you point to is actually protected from being eliminated. And that actually was me. I didn't realize that was my role. I was in front of me. So I actually voted for him. And he flips off his card like, yeah, everyone vote for me on Village Idiot. I win. You know, and everyone's like, whoa, oh my gosh, that was crazy. You just played us. And then we look down at the cards like, wait, 
actually you're not eliminated he's like what no and we're just all screaming and laughing in this convention hall it was hilarious and whoever he pointed to eliminated and that they find decided the the actual winners it was a hilarious game that's awesome i can just picture it that's fantastic the next game i'll talk about we alluded to earlier but uh, it's on kickstarter right now aeons and legacy so that's right this is a, another expansion for the aeons end line this is a legacy version of it so it's a one to four players and you will be unlocking content and actually creating your own mage through a campaign which is actually a really cool concept so unlike some other legacy games at the end of the game you will be able to take the mage you create and anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of the content in the box and integrate it to your existing content. So that's actually really nice because I know one negative about legacy games is you play through it, you have a lot of fun. At the end, you basically have a bunch of components in a game which you can't really use anywhere. So what do you do with this, this box of stuff? So I really appreciate that. The campaign is supposed to be seven chapters, I believe, and it sounds like it's around 10 plays get through on from what I've heard from the designers, and that's from the playtesters' experience. So not super long, but at the same time, you can replay things after the fact. This sounds pretty awesome, not going to lie. I like the idea of being able to make your own mage and be able to take that and play it for the content in the future. Yeah, I got to say, Steve, I'm definitely backing this one for sure, but I am a little bit wary because... They specifically state that the first two chapters are pretty simple because it's supposed to help people get into the game. And I'm kind of bummed about that because that means for us who've played this game a lot, you're going to really get five chapters instead of seven. And if you think of any other legacy game that's been co-op that we've got that we've seen, which primarily is Pandemic, right? Um, You have so many more plays to it. Yeah, I know that it's not replayable after, but I kind of want to have that legacy experience last longer than five plays, you know, or five rounds. Because it sounds like just just like Pandemic, if you lose the first one, you'll play the same one a second time, and then no matter what, you'll move on. So... Ah, uh, man, I was just, I was hoping to have a little bit more of that legacy, you know, um, but I'm still going to back it because A, all the content, there, there's going to be a ton of content that's coming with it that might not even go into retail. And that's what they're saying, at least. And then also, I just, I love Aeon Zen and I want them to keep producing Aeon Zen. So I want to support it. Yeah, that's a really good point you made about uh, not having a very long campaign. One thing I can't remember who I was listening to, it might have been Rado. But there was a comment made where each chapter makes significant changes to the game. So a game like Pandemic Legacy, you play through it and there's a few changes, but there's not sometimes between each month or each, each subsequent play, there's not a lot of changes. It might be a little bit of a slower pace. And this one's supposed to change a lot each time you open a, a campaign or sorry, a chapter book. And I totally get that. And I I actually listen to Rado's comments, but for me, I actually prefer the slow and steady because when so much changes for, especially, so let's say I'm a new player, right? And I get started, I just start figuring it out after the second play of the first one. And all of a sudden it changes substantially for that second, uh, that second story of the seven chapters, the second chapter, all of a sudden I have to basically start over, 
right? Because now all these new things are happening. I've just started to figure out the actual game itself. That's why I think Pandemic did it so well, because you have 12 months, not a ton changes, but that means that people and even your group gets more time together to learn how to play the game. And actually, it's almost better for a game that you can play after it's completed to have more of that time, because you're going to create that team and and you're going to be able to really learn how to play it. So at the end of it, when you when you take your mages and play just regular Aeon Zen, you guys are going to be a rocking team, you know? Yeah, that's a solid point. But I mean, it's all to whatever you want. And I, I'm still really excited about it. I just wish that I could have more chapters than seven. And I should say that's especially because of the price. I mean, think of what you pay for Pandemic Legacy. Pandemic Legacy was 65, 70 bucks. And that's the same price for Aeon's End Legacy, and I'm going to get half as many chapters. You know, That's true. I know that you get the stuff that you're getting in Aeon's End, you can play after it is done. But if you're looking at this for Legacy, I would go for Pandemic Legacy because you're going to get more out of that Legacy experience than you will for Aeon's End Legacy, I think. Now, I've never played it, so I can't say for sure, but that's what I feel like. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm wondering if that price is also including the Buried Secrets expansion. Because it sounds like, so if you're not familiar, there's the Aeon's End Legacy core box, and they're also adding for for free, quote unquote, right? I'm not sure where that price factors in, um, a Buried Secrets expansion in in this campaign. And as if I understand it correctly, that Buried Secrets expansion is a normal expansion. Yeah, except for that they're potentially not going to put it out in retail, right? Isn't that what they're saying? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I I know that they're talking specifically about not putting certain things out into retail, which is another thing that irks me a little bit because Aeon Zen has done such a great job of putting everything out into retail. Yeah, you had to get buy the expansions, you know, to get the nameless expansion, whatever, but Whenever you start making certain things limited and not retail, I think it it, it reduces the amount of people that want to even try and get your game because you're going to have your completionists or the people that just want to experience the whole game and they feel like they can't because they could only have done that if they backed the Kickstarter. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I just remember a ton of different uh, threads on BGG specifically about this. Hey, what's retail and what's not going to be retail? So I think it's just a heavy answer. I just pulled up the Kickstarter page, and I do appreciate they label this clearly, but they label different parts of the campaign as being promo, promotional, and Kickstarter exclusive. So the Buried Secrets expansion is listed promote as a promo, and what that means is it's going to be included in the Aeons and Legacy on Kickstarter, but not for the retail edition of Aeons and Legacy, but it will be released as a future date as promotional material and or game expansion. So it sounds like it will be available later, likely, as opposed to Kickstarter Kickstarter exclusive, which is exclusive to this campaign and or convention and special promotions. Okay. Take what you interpret that description however you want, but sounds like it's going to retail at some point. We'll see. But yeah, I agree. It's, that's one thing I wish they did a little bit differently is the Kickstarter exclusives. I have a love-hate relationship with that. Uh, if it's more content for a game, I don't want it exclusive, even if I'm a backer of it. And I think it would be best if exclusive 
material was more of component upgrades or things that don't add gameplay but just add more more pimpage deluxify it deluxify deluxe it. it exactly deluxe it you know make it make it have wooden components instead of plastic make it have nicer finish on the cards make it so the box looks better make it so it comes with an insert that's you know great all of that stuff as a backer i love it what i don't really appreciate when i am someone that's even backing a game or if i'm finding a game later that was a kickstarter and i can't get a whole expansion without paying $300 for it that just sets me off the wrong way and i don't even want to try and get it because it's so expensive it doesn't matter how good the game is the game could be amazing but paying that much money for one game i mean when you have a lot of different games to choose from because <laughs> there's so many good games out there. Why would you spend 300 on one game when you could get 10 other ones that are almost as good or just as good, right? And it's, uh, it's, I just don't think it's a great business model. I agree completely. Anyways, we could go on on this for a while because that would be a great conversation to have about Kickstarters. You know, I, 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 overall, I really, really like Kickstarter because it's allowing us to see games and designers are able to uh, hear from what people want and actually do it right away instead of publishers where it's a lot slower to see that happening. That's why we're seeing all these solo games and even co-op games coming in through Kickstarter because they know that's, that's how they're going to get people to back the game. Great, but there's always a flip side to it. So, but we'll 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 save that conversation for another day. Yeah, just a reminder, this campaign's running to March 16th. I'm currently not backing it, but trying to back it. Uh I did wind up going all in on U-boat and I spent all my wife points, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I know what that means. So, I need to uh need to earn some more points with the wife and try try to convince her to let me back this. So, we'll see what happens. Good luck, Steve. We're we're thinking of you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one I want to talk about, this one I don't have a ton of information on, uh but it's one that I did want to bring up and that's Agents of Mayhem: Pride of Babylon. So, this game is uh published by Academy Games. And I don't, I don't know exactly what the IP is, but I know that there is an IP. And uh, you know, if you just search "Agents of Mayhem," it looks like some sort of—I'm not even sure. It's a video game. It's a video game. Thank you. Okay, so it's a video game, and uh, it the, the game looks objective-based. It's tactical combat. You've got 3D terrain, like buildings and, and whatnot. You're going to have miniatures on the board. You're going to have your uh, character boards, and you're going to be changing things on your board, adding weapons, and you're going to either play um, com- competitive is the normal mode, but you can also, with one of the stretch goals, play it solo or cooperative. Now, what's interesting is, first, this is, a, this is Academy Games, so normally I would think of immediately with Academy Games, quality. They, they almost always come out with quality games. Second of all, Academy Games has stated with this add-on for the solo co-op, they're using the same people that designed Conflict of Heroes uh, um, AI, and that AI has been praised a lot. Yeah, there's been also some people that say it's too ambiguous, you spend more time dealing with the AI, but the AI is very smart. Very smart. And so, to think of that in this really cool 3D terrain, sci-fi you know, video game-ish style game. Sounds pretty cool if you ask me. Um, I will say that this stretch goal or add-on won't be included with the base game. 
it'll come three months later because they have to take time to design it because it hasn't even been designed. So if you do back this game for the solo or co-op, you're kind of taking a chance because they don't have much other than that they're going to design it similar to Conflict of Heroes. So yeah, the game looks cool. It really reminds me of, you know, a, a fun objective-based game where if they can somehow create a uh, a really effective AI that's using the 3D terrain, I mean, you can even blow up buildings and the terrain can like break down, which is really cool. I was definitely interested in it, but I'm going to say right now I'm not backing it because I want to see what the actual solo is going to be or co-op even before doing it because it looks like you have to play it with four agents all the time so even if you're playing just yourself you're going to be controlling four people which i always find a little bit harder to do than playing just one yeah i looked into this one as well you one thing that jumped out at me is the fact you can destroy buildings there's destructible terrain that sounded really cool so yeah and it's 3d so that's awesome oh yeah totally i will make a comment and i don't know how much of a factor this is in the game but it seems to it seems to be not necessarily family friendly. I say that uh, there is a miniature I think that is I think he's flipping people off. It's hard to tell in the sculpt, and in one of the stress goals, they're adding a family friendly deck to replace some of the event cards. I don't know exactly what that means, but if you're thinking about playing with younger kids, you might want to do further research to figure out exactly what that may mean. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Steve. I totally forgot to say that. So thank you, because that's a big point, especially for certain people. They might not even want that in their house. Exactly. So this one's going to end February 25th. Hopefully, by that time, Steve has edited this really long podcast. (laughs) So fingers crossed that he does, and you guys can back it But if you're interested. But yeah, that's February 25th, and that is Agents of Mayhem. And the other one I wanted to talk about, the last one, then we're going to move on, is Knights of Fire. This one is uh, published by Mighty Boards. So this is another one I don't know a ton about, but it's a sequel to or expansion uh, for Days of Ire, which is uh, was designed by David Trutzi. And I love David Trutzi. I mean, he has awesome solos. M- my favorite is Anachrony. It's amazing. So... I'm right now not backing it because I want to get more information on it, but it sounds interesting. And I I will say I actually have Days of Ire. It's sitting in my shelf. I just haven't pulled it out and learned the game yet. <laughs> so hopefully I will do a playthrough on the channel of that one. But if you're if you've played Days of Ire and you're interested, check out Knights of Fire. Oh, and I, I should say it'll add miniatures to the game too that can be used for both games. Also, don't forget, this one does end March 19th, and it has already funded. That will wrap up our upcoming games and news segment. If you want to share a game you're excited about, whether you're just a fan or if you're a publisher and want to reach out to us, feel free to send us info at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com, and we'll try our best to get added to the next segment. Awesome. Okay, so now what we wanted to do was move into the giveaway. So... We got tons and tons of awesome ideas for the podcast, so I really appreciate everybody who entered. I did a roll-off here on my own, and David Co. hey David, you have won. So I'll send you an email. You got 75 bucks. Thank you, and thanks to everybody for, for being and participating in this. We really appreciate it. We've got tons of ideas to run with now, so we love it. Thank you so much. I took a number of those ideas you sent in and set up a poll on the One Stop Co-op Shop Guild and asked some of the listeners or viewers what would interest you. And one of the standout requests was to cover 
games that were older or forgotten. And so we're going to add a new segment that we're called Pepperidge Farms Remembers. <laughs> so the first game we'll cover is Robinson Crusoe, published by Portal Games and Z-Man Games and designed by Ignacy Trezicek. <laughs> I was terrible at it when I've talked about this game. So yeah, Robinson Crusoe, it's a it's a Euro, a thematic Euro worker placement that's scenario based. And one thing that's really interesting about this game is as you have events and activities, those activities may come affect you in the future, which is really cool. And how that works is you have an event deck and maybe you go out exploring, you know, draw from the explorer deck and it'll have some thematic event happening. Maybe Maybe you came across a, a, a remains or something, and then you might have to shuffle this card into the event deck. And sometime later in the game, you might draw the card again, and at the bottom part says, oh yeah, you remember seeing that those remains, and and you're, you're feeling depressed or sad, and it has negative effects to your morale, for example. And it's a really cool system that Ignacio designed. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. The The other part I really like is the dice. I love how he uses dice in a Euro game because he allows you to guarantee actions by placing two workers. It's so simple. But if you want to be able to do everything that you need to do to be able to survive, you're going to have to do things with only one worker. And when you do that, you roll three dice. One die determines if you succeed or fail. Oh yeah, and if you fail, you actually get something when you fail. You get determination. Because you know what? If I fail at building the roof three times in a row, you better believe I'm going to be determined to do it the next time. So I love how he does that. And then he adds in uh, a die for if you have an adventure or an encounter or you know whatever you want to call it. But you have some sort of uh, story that goes along with building that roof. And then the third item is, hey, do you get wounded? Do you get a sliver in your finger? Or did you do it fine and not get hurt at all? And so I, I love how he uses dice. And what's awesome is for each different action type, there's three different types. There's the gather, the explore, and the build. There's three different dice for it, all with different probabilities of successes and failures or, or wounds or, or, or having an adventure. I love it. It, it, it. If you think about it thematically, it all makes sense because the exploration dice, you are very likely to roll and have an adventure. Huh, well, that makes sense. The The dice that are most likely to get a success is gathering because it's really easy to gather berries, generally. <laughs> you might get pricked on your finger, but you know that's that's probably about it. Uh, building is the one you're most likely to fail at because it's always going to be hard to try and build a raft or a roof or a shelter when you're on an island. So I I just I think how he built those dice, fantastic. And you think about it from a thematic standpoint. If you're not building the dice, you're using two workers. That means you spent longer to do it. So that's why you guaranteed that success. And yeah, it's wonderful. I also mentioned with building items in a game, it's really clever. So you start with just an idea and you need to combine or it's almost like a tech tree. I want to say you need to have the shovel before you can dig a fire pit, for example. And it's really, it adds a lot of, a strong layer of strategy to say, okay, what ideas are do I have at my arsenal? What can I use to help achieve this scenario? And those items or ideas available to you vary between each game. Yeah, I will say that, you know, the other thing I love is the scenarios. I mean, it just provides you with a very, very different experience playing the exact same game. 
My favorite scenario is the um, um, family of Robinsons or Robinson family. We are actually trying to create a family on the island and you have babies and so you got to feed your babies. I actually have a playthrough. I mean, it's from a long time ago. It's right when I first started the channel of that specific scenario. Check it out if you're inter interested in seeing it. Just know that the quality is a little bit different because it's right when I just started doing this channel. So I was trying to figure everything out. But it's still a good playthrough. Um, and it at least will show you the game because you've got exploration. You've got resource management. You've got push your luck. You have these, uh, you know, uh, random draws from event cards and things coming back to haunt you. Yeah, it's cool. I will say for me, the event deck sometimes frustrates me because a lot of times things will happen to you and there's just nothing that you can do about it. And and when you think of a Euro, you, you think of having some sort of control. And I understand I'm on an island, but from a game perspective, it's frustrating when you spend all that time getting just the right amount of wood so you can build that roof so you don't get wet from rain and have to lose food and then take wounds. And then you draw something and your morale goes down by two. And then because your morale went down by two and you don't have any determination, you, you all take two wounds. You know, something like that. And it's it's hard to feel like, well, I couldn't have done anything different and I'm losing. And that's that's the thing about Robinson Crusoe. Uh, if you want to win a game, don't play that one. <laughs> I mean, you definitely can win. And like castaways now, I would say I win at a 60 or 70% rate, really. But the thing is, those events can be so harsh and can change and, and can affect somebody, even if you're playing the game perfectly. And that can be a little bit frustrating for people. I know we had that experience with even castaways. We had, so in that scenario, you need to build a giant wood pile to signal a ship. And I remember I was playing with my wife and like, cool, we have the wood pile. We're ready to go. All we have to do is flip this event card and we'll win. We have everything set up and we flip the event card. Oh, by the way, you can't produce wood. You're like, no, our one wood we needed. And we you know, lost. So it definitely happens. It doesn't bother me as much. In fact, I did something a little bit different to my game where I actually sleeved all the the action cards and event cards and black back sleeves. So normally in the game, you can see the backs of, back of the card on the event card pile. You can tell if it's part of the normal event deck you set up in the beginning or if it's something you added later. But because I made added black opaque backs, I don't know what's coming. In fact, when I read the cards, I intentionally don't look at even the bottom half of the card and make it even extra hard. So we're like, oh yeah, you were bit by a snake. And like, I don't read the bottom part, so I don't know what to do to um, benefit myself or avoid this negative part. But it's kind of fun to think like, oh, what, it, what can that mean? Do I need to get cured? Do I need, how can I affect this? Just how I like playing. You don't have to play that way, but I find it quite fun that way. That's the best way to play it. I I I haven't found sleeves that fit the size of the cards that have a black back. So I might need to talk to you about what sleeves you use because I've been trying to find those. Um, but what I do is, if you don't want to get sleeves, is I just place a regular playing card on top of that pile of event cards and that way i can't see it and it's actually kind of funny my card is a santa claus it's a christmas card <laughs> so every time i play <laughs> i have santa out with me um which always makes me laugh because santa's out on a on an island yeah that's great <laughs> but anyways that really helps me too because i don't want to see 
I don't want to see what's coming up next. I don't want to know, oh, no, it's an event card. Um, oh, or no, it's an adventure card. And yeah, you definitely don't want to read the bottoms if you can. I understand maybe at first when you're first playing, but I'm going to be honest. I've played this game so many times. I know those cards. I read yes. them. I generally know what the bad thing is going to be just from playing it so much. Yeah, you, there is a little bit of that. There's enough cards in the deck where I think for the most part you... I don't think you can learn all the cards, but there is definitely a few of them that you will remember from time to time. And there are, I should say, a couple that have the same top and a different bottom, so that helps. So you you know it's one of like two options, but there's there's only 30 cards in each deck. So I've played that game 28 times, and so if you think about it, that's a lot of times through those decks. So I have gotten to where I know a lot of them, but... You know, there is an expansion coming out. I can't remember the name of it. Something Zion, I think. Um, but so uh, Ricky Royal actually did a podcast about it. And um, I'm really excited for that. It's going to be campaign based, which is awesome. There already is a campaign out there that I've already played a couple times. I I don't recommend doing the campaign right away. Play the game a bunch to understand it because the rules of the campaign is insane. I mean, it's just piled on and on and on and it just it it can really bog it down so <laughs> uh play the base game before getting the expansion you're talking about voyage of the beagles the first expansion is that thank the campaign you. yes voyage of the beagle i couldn't remember what it's called thank you yeah it's a lot of fun you're helping darwin and uh scenario three or story three or whatever whatever you would call it the third section of the campaign is awesome because you jump on a ship and so everything on the entire board changes and you're playing a totally 110 percent different game than what you've been playing before that and that's really cool to see it's amazing what he did using the same systems the same cards the same board and yet changed it totally it's really cool and that new expansion coming out this year is called mystery tales so the full name is robinson crusoe mystery tales it's 2018 thank you i don't know when exactly it's coming out but yeah sounds awesome uh i will also mention that the game i find pretty challenging other than the first scenario, which is noticeably easier than the others, most of them I tend to get destroyed in. <laughs> so, Yeah, like I said, don't play the game to win. Play the game to enjoy it. And, you yes. know, I think we have to talk quick because everyone likes to talk a little bit about comparisons. And we know First Martians just recently came out. Well, not recently. It came out a few months ago. And I've played it. I've got a playthrough on the channel of this as well. And so I thought maybe we'd spend maybe just one or two minutes comparing them. Have you played First Martians? I have not. I looked into the game, and I was strongly considering uh, pre-ordering it. What stopped me from pre-ordering was the fact that the rulebook wasn't available. And my part of my sickness is I like reading rulebooks. It gives me an idea of if I can like the game or not. And I wasn't sure what was going to be the outcome of that. But I have I did read the rule book after it was published, so I'm familiar, somewhat familiar with how it plays. Yeah, I would say you're very somewhat familiar. That rule book was pretty horrendous, if you ask me. <laughs> Watch it played saved me before that playthrough because I was trying to dig through that that uh, rule book. Wow, just did not things were not making sense at all. Um, I will say after getting through the rule book, the game is great. The game is very similar to Robinson Crusoe, but you you start out with everything. So unlike Robinson Crusoe, where you start off with nothing, you have to even build a shovel. 
in in First Martians, you start out with everything. Everything's working. There's one small malfunction that you start with at the beginning, usually. And that's it. And all you're trying to do is maintain everything. And to me, personally, that's not nearly as much fun as being like, hey, I just made fire. Hey, I just made a stick that can light things. <laughs> hey, I just made a, a, a chest that can hold our food so it doesn't spoil overnight. Yeah, you know, I feel that a lot more, it's a lot more fun for me than, oh, this machine's breaking, let me fix it. Oh, that machine's breaking, let, let me fix it. Oh, now that machine's breaking again, let me go fix that. You know, that, that seems more like maintenance versus building and, and creating. And there is a sense of exploration with First Martians. You're exploring Mars itself, but it it's, it's boring, right? I mean, it's just orange. <laughs> you don't feel like you're creating on Robinson Crusoe. You're like, you're like exploring this island and you've got waters and you've got forests and, and you can kind of see how this island is created. And each time you do this, you create a different island. But Mars, it's like, well, there's more orange and then there's some orange over there. <laughs> and it just, it just didn't work for me. So I still have the game. It's because I really want to try the campaign because I, I've heard that's where it's at is the campaign, but I still haven't gotten there. I'm going to at some point, <laughs> but overall, I much, much prefer Robinson Crusoe. I think that's the general consensus I've been hearing too from others I've been talking to have played both. They tend to align to more towards Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, I just really think it has to do with you know how it feels to, to create versus maintain. That's a great point. All right, cool. Well, Let's move on to our discussion topic. So this one, I'm thinking we'll, we'll and we know we're kind of running late on this podcast. This is going to be long. So hope you guys are okay with that. But what we're planning on doing is talking about our favorite solo games by genre. And I thought, you know what, let's just give them, give a nice brief spiel about them. And then we'll move through the different, uh, the different categories. How does that sound, Steve? Sounds perfect. Cool. All right. So let's start with fantasy. Steve, why don't you go first? What would you say is your favorite solo game that is in a fantasy setting? I had a little bit of struggle with this because there's a number of games I could qualify in this category. But lately, there's one that definitely stands out to me, and that would be Spirit Island. I Oh, not Lord of the Rings. No. Really? Actually, I, really? I play Lord of the Rings a lot. I have a ridiculous number of plays in it, but... I think that game is best two-player, hands down. Uh, versus the solo, exactly. that makes sense. And the okay. re- reason for that is you can uh, cooperate a little bit better and more specialize your deck, because if you play solo, you have to have a well-rounded deck. So that's why I chose Spirit Island for my solo game of choice, because that's pretty quick to set up. Um, I like being able to explore how each spirit plays, and I I will play that game with one spirit too, despite the fact that it's arguably better with more than one spirit because there's a strong level of cooperation in this game, not unlike Aeon's End we discussed earlier. I will say that, you know, if you keep playing solo with one, what's worked for me is you just up the difficulties of the scenario or the adversary and you'll get a great experience even just playing with one. So it's it's actually a game that I will play with one or with two when I'm playing solo. Yeah, agreed. Okay, cool. So my number one for fantasy, it, it wasn't even a question, Mage Knight. <laughs> you don't get much better than Mage Knight. I know it's a little bit of a cop-out. Everyone knows Mage Knight. But you know, it's, I can't 
think of another game that embodies what I enjoy of a game as much as Mage Knight. I enjoy exploration, having a goal, knowing where that goal is. So, you know, just thinking of a game like Seventh Continent, the the reason why I didn't like Seventh Continent is because I felt like I never knew what the goal was. All I knew was I needed to get rid of a curse, but I didn't know if I was going the right way. I didn't know what I was doing. Why I like Mage Knight so much better is I now have, with Mage Knight, I have a goal of where I'm going. I can do a little bit of combat. I can do a little bit of exploration. I have all these different options of things I can do, and it's just about how I manipulate the cards in my hand. Oh, yeah. And I can just sit there and think and think and think and then do something. And it's great solo. So yeah, Mage Knight for me. And I just, I love the fantasy setting, of course. So it's a basic fantasy. I don't even care. I like it. I'm going on taking on Wizards Towers, Castles. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, this is a great choice for solo. I've played it solo too. And I've even was crazy and played this four player. I do not recommend four. <laughs> four player. Yeah, do not recommend <gasps> oh, it. Man. It was way too long, but one and two players is fine. But I would say one player is well where it's at. It's just such a long game for me. I didn't. This doesn't rank that high for me just because it's hard to get to the table. It takes a lot of table space, a lot to set up, and for me with a younger kids, it's easy to get some other games to the table that I actually kind of enjoy more too. Totally get it. I think that if you played it more. It's a lot easier to get it to the table. I'm just gonna. I'm just saying. So I had the same problem when I first started playing it. But once I played it, and I didn't have to start keep looking at reference sheets and reference cards and understanding. Wow, I can get through a game much faster than I thought, and actually faster than some other games that I played solo. <laughs> so yeah, but I I understand what you're saying, and I will say that when you get to those cities, sometimes. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll play it to get to the cities, and then when I get to the cities, I go to bed, and then I'll play the next day to take them on, because I, I don't have enough time to do all of that in one night. My problem with that game, or problem in quotes here, is when I play that game, I'll get to the point where I will run out of time and essentially lose, and I'm like, eh, I'm having fun, I'll just keep playing. <laughs> yes. That's the best part. Oh, and the and the uh the AI is so easy. You don't even have to worry. You just flip over three cards. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's five. That's it. You know, and then you go right back to your turn. You'd say, ah, oh, it's the epitome of the best. Solo. I mean, there's a reason why it's been number one on the uh, People's Choice for solo games ever since they've started doing that because it is wonderful. Great choice. Okay, so I know that I said that we were going to go quick, and here I went and talked for like another five minutes. Sorry. Let's move to the next genre, and that is science fiction. So I'll go first on this one. We can swap back and forth. For me, that was Zaya, <laughs> Legends of a Drift System. Now, you might be getting a theme here. I think Colin likes exploration, and that is right. <laughs> I love exploration. Now, Zaya and Mage Knight couldn't be more different, though, because you have um, a card-based system with Mage Knight, and Zaya, it's dice-chucking, so much randomness. But I think, for me, it works really well in space, because think about in space so much stuff is we're not going to know what's going on and what's happening and so it it fits thematically to me that space is more random so yeah take that with a grain of salt but i really enjoy zaya i enjoy the exploration i enjoy the fact that you can get fame points so many different ways and that allows you to play against these three npcs from a solo game perspective so you're going against someone it's not just simply a clock or anything you do have actual ais yeah it's really cool i really want to play this game sometime 
I still think we should try and find a way to play a co-op because I think it would be a really fun co-op. Yeah, I think so too. So the game I chose uh, may not, I'm not sure everyone will agree to be science fiction, but it's based on a science fiction novel. So I think it fits this theme. And that is Nemo's War. I backed Nemo's this. War, good choice. Yeah, I backed this. I was a backer of the second edition. And I, I'm definitely familiar with the, the book. I read it back in the day. I do like the premise of it. But when I received it, I was actually a little... I wasn't very excited about it. I kind of felt like I shouldn't have backed it. I was like, well, I backed it anyway. I might as well give it a shot. So not expecting much. And I wound up playing it. And oh my god, it blew me away. I was not expecting the the adventure I had for my first play. And I played it again and again after that, trying different motives. And if you haven't tried this game out, it's excellent. I can't stress this enough. And it's kind of interesting because it's... How do I describe it mechanically? It's mostly a Euro point salad game, I would say, as as core, but with a mirror trash dice, dice chucking thrown in and a little bit of like uh, war game chit uh, chits in there too. So it's like a, a mixture of so many genres. And I have a feeling it will have something in there for everyone, whether or not you like the entire system, another story, but there's probably a bits and pieces of it you will like. Yeah, it's a great one. And if you are interested, I do have a playthrough of that one on the channel. So you can check that out. And you destroyed that game on that playthrough. Yeah, that playthrough was awesome. I mean, I, yeah, anyways, it was fun. And it was the war. I did the war um, motive. Now, the next genre we picked is horror. And I will be first to admit, I'm not a horror fan. I do have a few horror games, but it's not something I gravitate to. So for... My choice here, it was hard for me to distill down what I will pick solo off the shelf because if I have a choice, it most likely will not be a horror game. There is one game I do enjoy, and unfortunately it's out of print now, but that is Gears of War. This was a game made by Fancy Flight back in the day. Such a good game! The game did not get much love when it was released. I purchased it anyway, and I never played the video game, must admit. But what I did love about this game is the AI is so well done in this game. It's one of the best AIs I've experienced, and that's what keeps giving me coming back to it. My issues with it is I feel like to win the game, you have to move slowly and methodically. And so it tends to be best solo because of that. You have to take your time moving through it. And in fact, I, I'm not always in the mood for that, so I do like making house rules. And so I have uh, some house rules like playing with... Gears of War, which speed it up for me, and I like it a little bit better that way. So, but that's my horror game of choice that I do play on occasion. Yeah, that one is so tactical. I think is is the reason why you have you have to methodically go through each room because if you're out of cover and you get attacked there, you're dead. I mean, you're just you're just straight dead. So, yeah, it totally I totally agree with you. Much better solo. I've played a co-op once. That's it. <laughs> the rest of the times I've played it solo. I love it though. That's a great one. And you know it's funny. Um, Gears of War and the one I'm gonna say, Fire Team Zero, also kind of share a lot of the same mechanics. Actually, your hand is your health. You know, you can play your hand as your action cards, but that also means that you have less cards in your hand, so less health, which is kind of interesting that we both picked 
those two games. Um, but yeah, Fireteam Zero. Adam from Rolling Solo recently did a playthrough of it, and I'm planning on doing one on the channel because I did have Charles paint the miniatures, and they are amazing. <laughs> but this game, it's it's set in World War II time, but you add in these freakishly scary-looking monsters that um, are coming up from the uh, from the deep or whatever you want to call it, and you're trying to get through them and defeat them and complete objectives. Um, it's it's a dice chucker. Uh, it's not exactly a dungeon crawl because the board is already set out and it's you're usually outside, but you get that dungeon crawly feel where you're just going through trying to defeat monsters, complete objectives. As you complete objectives, more things pop up. Some of the objectives will actually flip over and then more things will attack you or more things will appear. Um, the game is all about hand management, though, which is really fun. I love hand management uh, because your hand is your health. So if you run out of the cards in your hand, you are down. And if two people get down, then you lose the game. So it's it's really fun. It's really quick, actually, for what it is. Um, but I actually I really like it. But I'm I'm also like Steve, not a horror person. I'm way more of a fantasy, splashing some space. I'm good to go. Horror, not so much. But yeah, great game. So moving on, we're going to move to the historical. So this is, I really like this one. I think Steve picked this out. Historical, I like that. Um, Historical for me, my number one historical game is Freedom Underground Railroad. What can I say about the game? <laughs> it's designed by Academy Games, so you know it's going to be good. It is a little bit heavy on the subject matter, but wow, do I love that game. I call it traffic control. I mean, that's essentially what it is. You've, you're trying to move the uh, these cubes that denote the slaves over to Canada, and you're trying to save a certain amount before you lose too many of them. And yeah, the game can be a real brain burner. So when you play co-op, sometimes it can be very, very, very frustrating because everybody has a different idea and you keep talking and talking and nobody does anything. When you play solo, you can just kind of look at the board, make your decisions and move on with it. And and the cards that are used all have real people during the time. They use events that are all related to that time period and actually happened. So I feel like I'm having a little bit of a, a history lesson while playing the game. Yeah, I really recommend it. Great game. And yeah, I think it's great solo. I really enjoy this game as well. I wasn't sure what to think of it at first because of the theme, but they did a great job. It's very respectful of the theme and they actually injected a lot of history. You can learn, you actually learn a lot about the history while playing the game. It's a great choice. Absolutely. That's my favorite part of the game, really. So the historical game I chose was actually my personal game of the year of 2016. And this game I has flown underneath the radar for sure. But this game is called V Commandos. It is, oh, yes. is made by uh, Triton Noir as the publisher. And he is I actually got a chance to meet him at Gen Con. I was able to play this and do a late backing. So I was pretty fortunate there. Uh, but oh my god, I love this game so much. And the reason for that is it's because it's an awesome stealth game. I love, love, love stealth in my co-op games. And what I mean by that is being able to sneak around and trying to set up your, your characters to do ambushes and stuff. And this game has it in spades. It is World War II themed. And it's set in your commandos trying to do a bunch of different uh, scenarios. And your characters can have different states. It can be stealth, visible, or it can be bleeding out, unfortunately. <laughs> Hopefully not bleeding out, <laughs> though it does happen. And you can also wear the disguise of the enemies as well. There's a, and there's a bunch of different 
uh, equipment you can grab. The characters are all different. Huge fan of this game. I can't I can't stress this enough. Yeah, I'm really excited. I I actually learned this game from playing with Steve online on um, using Skype. And yeah, it was so much fun. And actually, I played with Timothy as well. So I did get the whole game, including the expansions. So I am uh, hoping to do a playthrough soon. I just got to get it back to the table. It is does got quite a bit of dice chucking in it, so that may turn people off. But the game is very streamlined, and you wind up focusing more on the play than rules. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's always nice. And some of those games, you know, I think of Sword and Sorcery that I really like, but... I'm so hesitant to pull it out when I haven't played in a while because I feel like I have to reread the whole rulebook. And V Commandos, that's not the case. So the last topic, I made a, we decided to do a genre of wild card. So this is just a game we wanted to mention that maybe didn't fit the previous genre. So the one I will choose is the Tiny Epic series. And what I'm choosing this just because when I, I travel off of work and it's nice to be able to bring a game with me that can that I can play in the hotel room after a long day's work. And the nice thing about Time Epic series is every single one of those games is solo capable, and I really appreciate that. I don't get it, Steve. I don't, I don't get it. Why don't you just bring Mage Knight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really appreciate that because it's uh, small, compact, and it's I can have a lot of variety. Like what I what theme do I feel like that day, and I just throw it in my backpack. I'm good to go. That's really cool. I I never got into the Tiny Epic series really, except for Defenders. So. I'm excited for when that uh, Kickstarter comes out. I'm I'm looking forward to Defenders. Yeah, as Steve is pumping his fists. <laughs> um, okay, for me, this was uh, you know Steve already mentioned this one, but you know it's my number one, and I I actually found it interesting that he put Spirit Island in as a fantasy game because I wouldn't really put that in the fantasy setting, but I guess I don't know what setting I would put it in, which is why I put it in the wild card. But you already know we're doing a playthrough of it right now on the channel. Monica, me, and Timothy, uh, we're doing the thematic side of the board using the expansion with a scenario with an adversary. Our brains are falling out of our bodies, but we're having a lot of fun. So make sure to check that out if you're interested interested in seeing what Spirit Island can really be. Man, I love the game so much and never gets old. No, it really doesn't. Okay, we went pretty long, but I think we're coming to the end of this podcast. So please send you send us any ideas you have, any topics you want us to cover, and we'll do our best covering that. And if you have comments on, hey, this was too long of a podcast, let us know. You want to feel free to send us any feedback, good or bad, and we will continue to do our best to update and evolve this podcast as we go. Thank you guys so much. Have a good day. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you at the next stop. Wait, is this not a link? You no, li- it's not. You lied to me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. What I I just I'm sorry. <laughs> you wanted to look at it while I'm talking I did. about it, huh? And it's all sorry. blue and highlighted. It looks like it's a link. And nope, lies. That's what. Yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm trying to screw you over. Okay. <laughs>